I want to do a couple things here. We're, we're, we're picking up our study in John um, tonight, finishing out chapter 1. But I want you to turn right now to G- Genesis 28. Genesis chapter 28. And uh, before we start, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace in the name of Jesus. Lord, thanking you once again for gathering us here, for giving us this time together, for giving us your word. And Lord, we pray that you uh, bless the reading proclamation, the hearing of your word. May it have its intended effect. Uh, Lord, we ask that you accompany your word and power by your spirit. Grant us a greater, more accurate view of you. And use your truth, Lord, to change us to the image of your dear Son. Again, we thank you for this time. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look with me down at um, verse 10, Genesis 28. I want to read this little, uh, this account of a small but significant portion of the life of Jacob, because uh, I want us to have this in mind when we go back to John 1. 28.10 Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. 
So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Well, there's a, there's a lot there we could talk about. One, one thing that's significant is just the fact that God is... Um, reiterating there the uh, the covenant with Abraham and applying it to Jacob. He says, I'm going I'm to bring it to pass. You're going to be blessed. In your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But anyway, just keep that, keep that story, that image in your mind there. Jacob's dream. So he lay down to sleep in his journey and he saw a ladder and the angels ascending and descending on it and let's go back to John 1 and we'll pick up in verse 35 and remember where we are here is right in the middle of um, John the Apostle John talking about the witness the testimony of John the Baptist and so we saw this morning um what or who rather John was not talk about that he's not the Christ he confessed that is John the Baptist confessed openly I'm not the Christ I'm not the prophet the prophet spoken about um, in Deuteronomy 18 that would succeed Moses he said I'm not Elijah although we talked about that too Jesus later says that he is Elijah but apparently he didn't uh, realize that or understand that uh, about his himself and his ministry. And then we talked about who John is, and he declared to the delegation here that was questioning him, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord, the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So he tells them essentially what, what I am, who I am, is the fulfillment of Isaiah 40 verse 3. I'm a voice in the wilderness crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. So he's saying, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm come as a voice and I'm come preparing the way of the Lord, which implies the Lord is coming. The Lord is about to appear on the scene. And then we talked a little bit about John's ministry, how this... Witness would go forth. Not only there, that, that that of course was a witness itself to the uh, to the Jewish leaders who were questioning him. He was testifying to them about his about his um, mission. And then you see him in action, verses 24 through 34, where he's baptizing, and he sees Christ coming toward him, Jesus coming toward him, and he cries out, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." He does what he says he's come to do. He testifies 
about Jesus to reveal the identity of Jesus. In verse 31, he says, I myself did not know him, talking about Jesus. He, he says, first of all, you didn't know him. You don't know him. He's in your midst and you don't know him. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed. So John's saying, this, this is the point of my ministry, that this one, this greater one among us, might be revealed, the Messiah. And he bore witness to that effect. And he says in verse 34, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, I mentioned this morning, and we'll see it again here. This is going to seem somewhat repetitive because as we, <laughs> as we move through the Gospel, this is John's point that he makes over and over and over and over, that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, we, in fact, we pointed out this morning here in uh, chapter 1, verse 34, he states that explicitly, and then he closes the Gospel with another explicit statement toward the end, in John 20, verse 31, where he says, John the Apostle says, I've written these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So this is the heart of John the Baptist's ministry, and it's the heart of, uh, of, of in, in his testimony, his witness, and it's the heart of the witness of John the Apostle. This is the reason they did what they do, so that their hearers, their readers, would know that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we're kind of in the midst, in, in, in the case with John the Baptist, we're, we're kind of in the midst of that here. It, it continues, uh, it picks up from there. John has just borne testimony to the fact that Jesus is the Lamb who was, was to be slain. He's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God. And now he says in verse 35, the next day, again John was standing, that is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now that's the first time, he, uh, uh, second time rather, that he's done that. Back in verse 29, when he saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He repeats it again here. Behold, the Lamb of God. Verse 37, The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, that's, that's exactly what John's looking for, John the Baptist. In other words, that, that is precisely the goal of his ministry, that those who had heard him preach and been baptized by him and taught by him, and these are his disciples, would go on to follow Jesus. In other words, he's trying to stir up, as it were, a, a curiosity about who Jesus is. He, he wants to encourage a desire on the part of people to know in truth who Jesus is and to come, um, come to the true knowledge that He's the Son of God. So the two disciples heard Him say, heard him say that this is the Lamb of God, and they followed Jesus. Now this, this is, I've just found this fascinating for a long time because again, it's one of those things you can kind of picture in your mind. You know, Jesus walks by 
And John the Baptist, and we don't know if he yelled it out at this point or he just spoke it to his disciples, but whatever. You see, Jesus is passing by and John the Baptist says, Look, (laughs) the Lamb of God. And they apparently um, believe, or or at least uh, at this point their their curiosity is really aroused. They're, They're hoping enough that they say, well, you know what? We need to follow Him. And so they began to follow Him. That's indicative of a curiosity. And I want to think about, in particular, about a couple of things here as we go through these passages. Um, and I'm, I, I, I can't tell you, I know, I've noticed a lot of times when these guys, and, and others too, when, when y'all pray, like, like when they do the offering and they, and they, they make some statement about... Um, you know, we pray that nobody leaves here today without knowing, you know, Ronnie prayed that a while ago, without knowing who Jesus Christ is. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that prayer because I, I never want to take for granted. You know, I get up here a lot of times and I think, ah, we're pretty much looking at family here. Well, I think that's true most of the time. But, but, but I don't want to totally take that for granted. It's always possible that there's somebody in the room who doesn't really know Jesus. I mean, they know, they know the story. They've, they've heard the story. They're, you ask them who Jesus is, and they say, well, you know, He's the Son of God. And He came 2,000 years ago. He was born in Bethlehem in a manger, and He died to take away our sins. They know the story, but they don't really know Jesus. So I want us to think, if, if, if your situation is that you do know Him in truth, then do a little reflecting with me and think about your own experience. And when this desire to know Him was really stirred up in you. Now, I, uh, I was raised going to church. We were, we were real regular. My mother was a churchgoer. So, so, you know, I, I was one of those. I mean, I heard the story. I knew the story. I knew how to answer the questions to get posed. But it wasn't until I was an adult, a young adult, that by the grace of God, this desire to follow Him became a reality. I mean, it's, it's one thing to have, you know, just to hear secondhand and people say, you know what, that's the Lamb of God. And even to give some mental assent, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we, we, we're all Americans here, we believe that. <laughs> that's not so much true anymore, is it? But it, it used to seem true. But it, it's, it's one thing to kind of think that way. It's another thing to say, you know what, I think I'll follow him. I'm going where he's going. If that's really the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, if that's really the Messiah that we've been waiting on all this time, in other words, that's our hope. I mean, for the Jewish mind, the Christ, that's our hope. That's who we're waiting on. So it's another thing to think that way and and, and to think in desperation. If I don't get to know Him, then I have no hope. So you know what? I'm going to follow Him. 
So while we're thinking about these different disciples doing that, can you might kind of reflect on your own experience when God aroused that desire in you. And Jesus went from just being a historical personality, you know, back there somewhere like George Washington or something. He went from being that in your mind to being somebody that you were actively pursuing the knowledge of. And I've always thought this was neat. Or for years I thought this. Again, if you get the picture, you know, he walks by and, and they say, well, you know, we'll follow him. And Jesus turns and he saw them following, verse 38 says, and said to them, what are you seeking? Isn't that a great question? I mean, Jesus just has a way of, of popping these questions that it's, it's kind of like shooting an arrow and, and he hits the bullseye every time. It, it, it never strays. The arrow never strays. And What are you talking about? No, he hits the bullseye every time and, and just strikes the heart. And they know what he's talking about. And he knows what's going on with them. And he says, what are you seeking? I mean, because they're following. He turns and they're following. And he, and he knows what's going on, but he asks for their sake. What are you seeking? And that's a good question. Good question for all of us. If you are in this room tonight and, and you do not know him in truth... That's certainly a question you need to think about. What are you seeking? You've heard about Jesus. You've heard the story. So, what are you waiting on? You thinking there's something better out there? What is it that you're seeking? Is it just temporal pleasure? Or do you really desire eternal life? Is it, is it just to fit in or to fit you know, some kind of cultural norm somewhere in some subculture? Or, or is it really you're seeking forgiveness? So you take the behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world part seriously. What is it that you're seeking? Well, I've heard that Christians live good, clean lives. I mean, so if I could you know, just kind of follow Jesus, maybe I could become a better person. What are you seeking? It's going, to, it's going to be more than that. It's got to be more than that. Or are you seeking salvation? So Jesus says, what are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now that may seem like another strange question, but I think it's an indicator that they've got a, really de- a real desire to get to know Him. In other words, it's kind of like saying, where do you live? Because wherever you're going, <laughs> wherever, wherever it is that you stay, that's where we're going. It, it indicates that they want to get to know Him. Where are you staying? And what does Jesus say? Come. And you will see. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great exchange? I mean, it's so simple and yet so profound. They take out after him. He says, "What are you seeking?" Well, where are you staying? And he says, "Come see." In other words, they indicate that they want to know him better. And Jesus says, "Come on, come on." I mean, I, we ought to just really because this is the norm for him. 
we ought to just jump up and down with joy that he doesn't say, get lost. <laughs> you know, look, look at you. You're a couple of bums. I don't need you hanging around me. And I'm not telling you where I live. I don't want you coming around my house. I mean, isn't it good that he turns to people like that and says, come see. You want to, you want to know more? The Lord says, come on. Come on. I mean, it's not like you have to pass some kind of college course or something. What you've you got to do is follow Jesus. I mean, they, they started out following Him, and what He's saying is, you want to know? You want to know? You want to know more? Keep on following. Keep on coming. Come see. Come see. Well, that's, that's good for all of us. I mean, not just those who might be in unbelief, but those of us who know the Lord, we still need to keep on following, don't we? Just, just keep going. Where He goes, go. What he says, do. Just, just keep following him. Come, come see. The more, the more that we come along, the more that we get to know. And so, John says, verse 39, He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed. They stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Verse 40. You're going to see this thing just kind of, it, 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 just, it just keeps on. The, the witness bearing, the testifying, it, it just keeps on. Um, like dominoes falling, it just keeps going here. Verse 40. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus, who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Now it seems Andrew's already becoming convinced here. And so he runs and gets Peter, his brother, and says in verse 41, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. That is, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, John the Baptist says the problem is you don't know him. And he goes on to say about himself, verse 31, I didn't know him either. He's among you, you Jews, and you don't know him. That's verse 26. And then verse 31, I didn't know him either until until God made him known to me. And then he goes on to explain, now this is why I've come, and this is why I baptize, so that he might be revealed, that is, made known. It's like I said this morning, like an unveiling, so that He might be revealed. And I testify, verse 34, John the Baptist says, I testify this, that He's the Son of God. So this is what He wants us to know. This is what He Himself has come to know. This is what He wants others to know. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And now you've got uh, Andrew, uh, the two disciples here, one of them being Andrew, and He's come, they've come to the knowledge that He's the Christ, believing that He's the Christ, and Andrew gets Peter, and Peter comes, and 
We're going to see that he begins to follow Christ, and there's going to be more, but another thing I want us to start noticing here is that while they are getting to know Jesus, they're, they're coming to the knowledge, this is being revealed, and they're coming to the knowledge of who he is, and their interest is stirred, and they're going to follow, and they want to know more. One of the things that, again, we probably take lightly out of habit of hearing it, but it ought to blow us away, is that he already knows them well. Well. All too well. And that's something else I want us to reflect on in our, in our own experience, just while we're reading this and thinking about this. And you, you, may, you, may, you may have situations in your mind where you can remember you know, coming to that kind of knowledge. You know, he, he knows me. Nothing's hidden from Him. You can't, you can't hide. He knows it all. I can't even hide secret things in my heart. He knows. He knows all about us. That's a crushing blow sometimes, by the way. I mean, it's not all, I mean, now we can say we can rejoice in it, but when you think back when you were coming to conviction in it, that may have been devastating. But it has a good end. Good results. Anyway, let's, we'll go back to the story here. He knows Peter. I, th- this is amazing too. He, he, this is the first time they meet. He says, he knows Simon. You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. They, they meet. This is the first time they meet and he changes his name. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? That's authority. I, you know, Jesus... I mean, he just doesn't have any inhibitions about that. He just says, you know, in our group, from now on, you're going to be called Cephas, which means Peter, Petros in the Greek, rock. Rock. Now, one of the things that's neat about that is because what I was just saying about Jesus knowing us, Jesus knows that Peter's no rock. If anybody's a rock, Peter's not a rock. And he's just kind of all over the place at times, especially, you know, with his emotions. And his tongue. He, he's not a rock. And yet Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to call you rock. He knows us and, and he knows what he's going to do with us. By the time you get through the Gospels and into the book of Acts, Peter's a rock. You know, it's kind of like Abraham. You, you think about, here's Abraham, and God says, same thing, you know, I'm going to change your name. and Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you a father of many nations. Well, <laughs> he didn't have a child, you know, he didn't have a child. What kind of father is that? No, you're the, you're the father of many nations because God knows what He's going to do with him. He knows what He's going to do with Peter. So He says, your name's going to be Rock. Now, verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. 
Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I, I, I mentioned earlier that one of the concepts that, that John, the Apostle John, brings, brings out in the, in the first chapter, is this, in, the, in the prologue, rather, is this uh, concept of witness, testifying. And, and then we talked about that in the life of John the Baptist. And, there, and we're just going to see that continue and continue and continue. He's going to use it over and over again. But you've already got these brand new disciples. And what is the first thing that they begin to do? Testify. And they don't know anything yet except the most important thing. We found the Messiah. We found the Messiah. And so already they began to testify. I mean, it just seems to me that, you know, a lot of times we talk about witnessing, how to, how to be a witness, how to get people to witness, you know, how to motivate people to witness. It just seems to me that it just comes along with a new birth. It comes with the territory. In other words, when God changes somebody, it seems like they just can't help themselves. They just begin to testify. You... You, you give a, a kid a, a kid who badly, badly wants a new bicycle for Christmas, and you give them a new bicycle for Christmas, bicycle for Christmas, you don't have to sit them down and say, Son, here's what I want you to do. And if you love me, you'll do this. Go out and tell all of your friends you got a new bicycle. <laughs> you don't have to do that. They can't wait to do that. And that's what's happening here. Andrew tells Peter. Now we got Philip finding Nathaniel. He brings Nathaniel. We've we found the Messiah, they're saying. We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. That's going to be another important theme in the book of John. In other words, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Remember that, because we're going to be coming back to that, Lord willing, as we move along. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Not just particular verses here and there, but the whole thing. Jesus is the subject of the Old Testament. He is who Moses and the prophets wrote about. And we're going to see Him later, chapter 5, testify concerning that very thing to the Jews. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So, I don't know if Philip realizes what all he's saying here, but, but it's true. Like I say, a lot, more, a lot fuller than probably what he realized. But he says, We have found Him of whom Moses and law and all the, also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And of course, it says the son of Joseph because they assumed that He was. And they did not understand the virgin conception at this point. Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Hmm. Familiar language? Maybe he had heard about that. And Nathanael says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth? Well, Philip says, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael, verse 47, coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, 
in whom there is no deceit. I'm telling you, he knows us. I mean, you, you kind of see what he's talking about there. You see how straightforward Nathaniel is in verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, he, he, he's straightforward. He doesn't, you know, beat around the bush. Jesus knows that. Look, at that. he's not a deceiver. Here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Here's a straight shooter. Truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He's showing that he knows something about his character. Now Nathaniel says in verse 48, How do you know me? See, he knows us. The problem is we don't know him. Remember, that's what John was saying to the Jews. He's among you and you don't know him. John the Baptist, what John the Baptist was saying to the Jews. That's what he said of himself. I didn't know him either. And he, and he implies I wouldn't have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize told me. It's the one that you see the Spirit descending on. That kind of stands out, doesn't it? It's the one that you see the Spirit descending on and remaining. That's the one. And John saw that. John the Baptist saw that, so he knew that's the one. That's the one. Now he knows him. So our problem is, we don't know him, but Jesus knows us. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? How do you know me? And I mean, you can feel, again, if you think back, you think back to, to when the Lord was dealing with you and you're going through all of the conviction, maybe even just after recently coming to Christ. And you can't, you can't read the Bible without, and hopefully this is still true of all of us, but you can't read the Bible without God just, it's like He just lays your heart open bare before you and Him. And He's saying, as you, as you go through His Word, as you read, He's saying, I know you. I know you. You think, you think there's something I don't know? You, you think that you've got places in there that you can hide things? Well then, check, check this verse out. And it will show you who you really are. That's what Jesus does. And you can tell Nathaniel, just like we are, Nathaniel's kind of taken back. How do you know me? And Jesus said, in verse 48, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Now, there, you, there, a lot of speculation goes on about what in the world is Jesus talking about? What was going on under the fig tree? And you can hear people, you know, speculate and tell stories. Well, it's when, you know, they, they do a little thing when they're a kid, you know, I don't know, his mama was working in the field and she laid him under the fig tree to take a nap. So Jesus is saying, I've known you ever since you're a child. I, I don't know what the truth is there. I don't know what the real story is. But that's not the point. If it was, the Apostle John would have gave it to us. The Holy Spirit would have given it to us in this Gospel. The point is not, what was Nathaniel doing under the fig tree? And, and when, you know, did Jesus mean five minutes ago or did He mean when you were a little boy, you know, four years old or something? 
That's not the point. The point is that Jesus knew. That He knew something that nobody else could know. And what was important there is that Nathaniel knew what he was talking about. I mean, when he said that, before Philip called you, I saw you in a fig tree. Nathaniel knew immediately. It's like, it's like the woman at the well when you get to chapter 4. And Jesus, you know, he lets one of those arrows fly again. He says, look, go call your husband. And she looked at him and she said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the man that you now have is not your husband. He knew. He knew everything about her. He knew more about her than she knew about herself. He knew more about Nathaniel than Nathaniel knew about himself. He knows more about you and I than we know about ourselves. So that, that's the point. It's not what the whole fig tree thing is. It's just the fact that Jesus knew it. I mean, the reason John, the Apostle John, is relating this is because it signifies something here. That Jesus has knowledge that is not normal <laughs> for human beings to have. He knows something that a mere man wouldn't know. Now, you can tell that by Nathaniel's response. It's a little more respectful, by the way. Before he was saying, Ha! Nazareth? What? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. I mean, that's like, you know, Ringgold or something. I don't know. Nothing, nothing good comes out of there. I didn't want to say Kentucky. I mean, because we... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> See, there you go. You're going to offend somebody. But... <laughs> I'm from down that way too, okay? That's why, that's why I said it. Now Nathaniel's a little, got a little different mindset. Rabbi, he calls him. Rabbi, respectful term. But listen to what he says. He doesn't need it. That doesn't go far enough. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now that's quite... That's quite a confession. Whatever Jesus was talking about, he saw was enough to convince Nathaniel this is something that only God could know. Verse 51, And he said to him, let me, let me say this before I even read that. Nathaniel's confession, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel, is, is right in line with the goal of John the Baptist's testimony in, back in verse 34. John the Baptist says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And it's in harmony with what we read this morning from chapter 20 where the Apostle John says, I've written these things, this, this book, this narrative, I've written th- these things so that you may know. Let's look at that real quick. And, or I can just read it. You don't have to turn there. John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And by the way, that, that's what John is expressing there, the Apostle John, in John chapter 20, verse 30, is his reason for writing this Gospel. So that's kind of... You know, that's, that's a key verse for understanding the whole book. It's where he's going with it. He wants us to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believe that so that we may have, faith, uh, have life through faith in Him. Now, that's the point of John the Baptist witnessing, testimony, and Nathaniel's confession is right in line with that. He refers to Jesus as the Son of God. So here, earlier, John the Baptist says, look, He's among you, and you don't know Him. Verse 26. That is, you don't know who He is. Verse 26. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. And then in verse 31, I myself did not know Him. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't know he existed. They probably bumped into him. They probably saw him in the marketplace. They might have met him, shook hands with him, said, how are you doing? You know, this is Jesus. You know, this is whoever. But they didn't know who he was. So John the Baptist says, I'm baptizing so that that can be revealed, so that you may know who he is. And John the Apostle is saying, I wrote these things so that you can know, so that you know who Jesus is. And Nathaniel is saying, Rabbi, I think I know who you are. (laughs) Now, verse 51, and we're done here. He said to him, and this is Jesus speaking now. He said to him, truly, truly, and any time you see that, All of the Word of God is important, but when you see phrases like that, let your inner ears, you know, kind of perk up. It's the the word amen. You know, we say amen. Amen. Amen, amen. The repetition there is for emphasis. It's emphatic. Jesus is saying, what I'm fixing to tell you is true indeed. Truly, truly. You know, we, we put it on the end of prayers. Jesus puts it in the front of a lot of His sayings to emphasize the fact that what he's about to say is true. Amen, amen. I say to you, (laughs) you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let me ask you something. I said a little earlier that the whole Old Testament is about Jesus. A lot of you, like me, grew up in Sunday school and all this and that, and you've heard the story of Jacob's Ladder. Did you know that that was talking about Jesus? What, what we just read in Genesis 28. Did you know that the subject of that little story was Jesus? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's pulling one example. could use others, but He's pulling one here. He does use others in other places. And He's... Well, Nathaniel says, you're the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus says, you know what? Uh, Yeah, and you're going to see more evidence of that. 
And then he, and then he alludes to this Old Testament passage, Genesis 28. He says, you're going to see the heavens open and, the Son of, and, and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, what he's saying is, I am Jacob's ladder. Let me go back to Genesis 28 real quick here. There was something I, I, I wanted to point at we were reading through here a while ago. Um, let me find the verse here. Okay, um, verse 16. Jacob awoke. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. That's going to be key. And I didn't know it. He had the same problem the Jews had, same problem you and I had. The Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. But see, now it's been revealed to him. And he was afraid, verse 17 says, and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Are you beginning to see what Jesus is saying now? In verse 51 of John 1, why does he point them back to this immediately after Nathaniel has said, You're the Son of God, the King of Israel? Because that place and that ladder in Jacob's dream was the house of God and the gate. Of heaven. And Jacob called it Beth El, which means house of God. And Jacob said, God, God is in this place. God is in this place, and I didn't know it. And that's exactly what's going on in John. And you've got now the testimony of John the Baptist. We've got the testimony of other disciples who are now saying, look, we found the Christ. And, and then Nathaniel who says, you're the Son of God, the King of Israel. We've got the testimony of the Apostle John who wrote this book. We've got the testimony of Jesus who says, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Son of Man referring to Himself. In other words, He's saying, God is in this place, all right. God is in this place and it's Me. He's Me. I'm the house of God. I'm the gate of heaven. That's what John wants us to see. That's what John the Baptist wants us to see. It's what all the apostles, once they saw it, it's what they wanted us to see. It's what every Christian down through the ages, once they come to the knowledge that Jesus is God, wanted everybody else to see. He is Bethel. He is the house of God. He is God. Let's pray. Father, we again thank You for Your Word and for this revelation that You've given to us 
to make yourself known. And I do pray, Lord. I want to agree with my brother who prayed earlier, and I know everybody else here that knows you uh, in truth is in agreement. Lord, we do pray that if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, know in truth who you are, and who doesn't know your saving power, the forgiveness and atonement for sin that only comes through You. Lord, we pray by Your Spirit, may You reveal Yourself now to them. And may they submit like we see in the disciples here and say, Lord, truly You are the Son of God. We ask it in Jesus' name.